Hey, who made you a disc jockey? Welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlands podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. It's episode 166 at the tail end of a long American Thanksgiving Day weekend, <laughs> which means days and days of far too much food, far too much booze, far too much unwelcome political opinion around the goddamn <laughs> dinner table, far too many false memories of childhood from parents who should fucking remember better but never do. Bad decisions all around. <laughs> we're lucky we made it this far. And yet somehow we're actually taping on time for the first time in a few weeks. It's a yes. goddamn miracle. Oh. <laughs> Amanda. See, we had Amanda's mom here for Thanksgiving, which means she's far more physically and emotionally shattered than I am at this point. I love my mother. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. That's, that's all I'm going to say. She's gone now. It's okay. She's back home. It's all right. We finished the mashed potatoes today. <laughs> Yeah. Go on. Uh, there's still a little bit of gravy left. There's some some white meat. I think that's going to go into sandwiches. Dark dark meat's gone. It's all, it's all gone now. It's gone and it's never coming back. There's a couple of green beans. Did I mention there were green beans? I, I wish I had a sound effect of like zombies clawing at the door because <laughs> it sounds like you're taking inventory for your last fucking stand. But I think the takeaway is that the mashed potatoes are gone now. <laughs> we killed the mashed potatoes, everybody. We're heroes, certainly not gluttons. No, no. Certainly not the type of people who would put heavy cream and eggs on mashed potato for breakfast. We would never do that. Yeah, it's like I care about my life choices or yeah. something. <laughs> Here's how little we care about our life choices. Uh, after we saw Amanda's mom off, we uh, got shit-faced because that's what we do. Mm. And we saw the 1982 Swamp Thing movie. <laughs> the TiVo grabbed it. It like Turner Classic Movies on Saturdays has this weird, uh, you know, ooh, underground movies. And it grabbed the 1982 Swamp Thing, which I don't think I've seen since junior high school. I may have seen it on sci-fi in some sort of edited, full of commercials form. Oh, no, you really want this in its full flower of you glory. You really do. Because, <laughs> number one, that's the only way you get Adrian Barbeau's boobs, yes. which is really the only thing to inform the movie. Yeah. Wes Craven shouldn't have done this. <laughs> This is the last thing he did <laughs> before Nightmare on Elm Street. It's like he was getting a lot of garbage out, out of, of his system. system. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it was the the latex suit. I mean, Swamp Thing, he, Swamp Thing shouldn't bunch at the hips <laughs> when he's striding through the swamp. It doesn't seem right. Yeah, yeah. He sh- he shouldn't look like the plants are riding up on him. He's <laughs> <laughs> got a crack full of plants. Yeah. That's <laughs> crack full of plants. <laughs> All right. That's title possibility number one. It's The only positive thing about it is it was so horrifying. Uh, DC recently came out with an omnibus edition of, they call it the Bronze Age Swamp Thing, but it's really, it's like the entire run of Swamp Thing from the original House of Secrets sort of flashback episode of Swamp Thing in the past that was his origin. Yes. Like right up until <laughs> right up until Alan Moore takes over and turns it into something that's worth reading. <laughs> Ironically, the last thing in the book is the Swamp Thing annual that's the movie adaptation. Oh, <laughs> Just to give wow. you a kick in the slats to realize this is what you were dealing with before Alan came in. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> there there is also a return of the Swamp Thing which was released 
eight years later, seven years later? It was like 89, so I eight, think. Eight years later. So yeah, 89, banner year seven for year. comic book cinema. Yeah. We had Batman, Return of the Swamp Thing. Return of the Swamp Thing, which stars Heather Locklear as Abigail Arcane. So just wrap your mind around that for a second. <laughs> yeah, not exactly the witchiest, gothiest uh, Abby Arcane one can think of. Thankfully, no. Dick Duroc and his awesome porn name came back to portray the Swamp Thing. He had to come back. He had to. <laughs> he's gonna, Return to the Swamp once more with he's, Dick. He's got nowhere else to go! <laughs> we did not watch Return to the Swamp Thing. We just we did uh, not. I thought about it. We brought it up on IMDb, frankly in horror. <laughs> Because as we're watching, I'm like, you know, they did a sequel to this. And you're like, bullshit. You know what else they did? There was like a five-year TV series. Yes. A Swamp Thing. I don't know if Dick Duroc came back for that. Yeah, I would look it up right now. But the amount of fucks that I do not give. (laughs) Don't look it up right now, for the love of God. Put the phone down. (laughs) We can live a long and fulfilling life without knowing about the Swamp Thing UHF syndicated TV show. From the late 80s and early 90s. I think we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, just let that sink in while I have a, a slug of fine night shift brewing awake beer. Is the coffee helping? Uh, yeah, it's porter with coffee. Uh, and I got three pints of it here. So oh, buckle in. It's going to be a show and a half. Great. Great. Somebody help. <laughs> yeah, after four days of heavy drinking with your mom. <laughs> I need something to take the edge off or, okay. to, or to give me an edge. <laughs> We're really in no condition, but... We promise these scumbags a show. That's <laughs> oh, your new favorite clip. Look at that. <laughs> um, I, I got a few new ones on here. We'll, we'll get to them. We'll get to them. Yeah. Okay. I've had time to do stuff with the actual production of this show. This is what, I, this is what happens when I leave you alone. Exactly. This, this <laughs> Nothing show, good. The production values of this show now easily cost like it cost 14 bucks. Mm. So greater <laughs> than the budget of Swamp Thing. Uh, yes, so fourteen bucks uh, <laughs> divided by one hundred and sixty-six episodes. Yeah, that's about. Uh, that sounds about right. Yeah. So yeah, the weird thing is, we had all this time to binge watch stuff, and we're talking about a show that we binge watched like two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, it is a. Uh, the Punisher came out a couple of weeks ago on Netflix. Same time as, as Justice League, so we, we made a command decision about which one we were going to talk about first. Yeah, uh, one was better than the other. <laughs> Although, again, I've got a small soft spot for Justice League. We'll see if it holds up the next time I see it. So, yeah. yeah. The Punisher, uh, starring John Bernthal, reprising it from, uh, was it Daredevil Season 2 he showed up? That sounds right. Yeah. Um, Daredevil Season 2. One of these villains will stick. (laughs) (laughs) Daredevil has had villains that have stuck. Yes. I mean, Jesus, Elektra came back for... Defenders. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm just saying that particular season, despite the fact that they realized in the first season, no, just focus on Kingpin. That That's all right. The next season was, we're going to have Elektra, we're going to have Punisher. We're gonna have... <laughs> yeah, just sort of dealing them off the top. Is this your card? Fuck. Okay, <laughs> is this your card? It's like they learned nothing from Spider-Man 3. <laughs> nobody learned anything from Spider-Man 3. Because nobody is. That's not true. I saw Spider-Man 3 once, and that was plenty. Violent show. Yes. (laughs) Yes, it was. Which was kind of cool. I think the release date got bumped because a couple of the mass shootings. Yes. It's hard to narrow down in the United States which ones, but yeah. I believe it was the Las Vegas one. Yeah, they they pushed it back. Um, And it's kind of weird to watch. I get a weird cognitive dissonance when when I see this or what was it? Punisher War Journal with, Mm -hmm. uh, was it Ray Stevenson? That sounds right. Yeah, because... 
I'm old enough to remember when Punisher used mercy bullets and, and like would team up with Spider-Man without putting a magnum in his hand <laughs> to teach him some kind of lessons about the dangers of vigilanteism. Right? Yeah. It's... Matter of fact, I was Googling around today. I, I I had and read the last Punisher story where he was like that and wasn't just this murderous killing machine. Really? It was ama- How long ago was that? I was 10 years old. Oof. It was Amazing Spider-Man Annual 15. It was written by Denny O'Neill and had art by Frank Miller with inks by Klaus Janssen. Wow. Um, which I had no idea about. I remember I didn't like the art in it. Hmm. Which is weird, considering how much I eventually loved Frank Miller's art, at least for a while. Yeah. Frank Miller's magic, if you're 16 years old and you've grown up reading comics with art by like John Romita your whole life, when you're 10, it's like, this is muddy. I don't understand why this is... <laughs> it, just, it didn't work for me. Mommy, I think I need glasses. <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> just the art didn't work for me. And yeah, in that issue, yeah, Punisher shot Spider-Man with mercy bullets and dosed him with knockout gas. <laughs> that was that was like the violence in between superheroes in 1981 or 1982. Yikes. And uh, Punisher actually, he did go crazy at the end of it because Doc Ock poisoned him. And Punisher went to jail at the end of that issue and he didn't come back to the Marvel Universe until Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man, 81 and 82 and I had those issues. And it was 1982 was the first, uh, not 1982, issue 82 was the first one where Punisher was like mowing down jaywalkers. And, <laughs> and some dude who tried to throw something in the trash, but he, he rimmed it and it hit the ground. It's like, oh, littering, machine gunned him to death. <laughs> and the, the difference that a couple years makes, I was just old enough at that point to be, yeah, I guess Punisher really would do that if he was that committed to killing criminals. And Meanwhile, some whoever it was that, was responsible for the piece of shit that was falling down was reading that going, this is an excellent idea. <laughs> I will defend the movie falling down up to a small point. I was 21 when no, I saw it. No, no, tell me about your defense of the ballad of the angry, wimpy white male. <laughs> I was 21, an angry, wimpy white male. That's all there is. It's, you know, at 21, facing going to get a real job. I had the kind of nihilism that only a white kid going to get a real job can have. <laughs> That's the entirety of the defense. Okay, all right. <laughs> but it felt very real at the time. I don't think I've seen it since I was 22. Okay. <laughs> uh, but after yeah, after those couple issues, the next time Punisher shows up is uh, in the uh, the Circle of Blood uh, miniseries, the one by Stephen Grant and Mike Zeck, and that's okay. the one where Punisher stopped using all that stuff completely and really kind of became a got like five different books at Marvel. So so yeah. The, the Punisher I grew up with, <laughs> I saw the last gasp before he became the kind of guy who'll stab you in the neck and look in the eye just to watch you die, which I think happened three times in the Punisher miniseries. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that he mowed anybody down in this miniseries for jaywalking, though. No. Uh, well, there was hardly any urban vigilantism at all in this. This was much more a war story slash spy story slash specific revenge story. Yes. I we got hints of the urban vigilantism in the very first couple of episodes where he was dealing with coworkers on his construction site that were committing a heist. Yeah, but even that was, you know, there was somebody he'd half taken under his wing who had taken a bad turn and it was not so much I'm going to fight crime, it's I'm going to defend this one guy I know with the skills that I have developed. Yeah, but even then it was at the end of it, and now get out of town. <laughs> yeah. 
It wasn't like he was gonna be like, "All right, see, you've made some poor choices, but you're gonna get let, let you know stick with me to the end of the movie." <laughs> yeah, no, no, he was not a sidekick no. by any stretch of the imagination, but he allowed him to live. Yes, which, I mean, again, to be fair, those couple of spectacular Spider-Man issues, the plot point was supposedly Jigsaw had somehow poisoned Frank while he was in prison, mm. and that drove him crazy and to the point where he saw everybody as a criminal. Okay, so it was not supposed to be. Oh, this is. This is the new law. Although, uh, I forget who wrote that. I want to say Al Milgram. Okay. Uh, although that can't be right. Shit. Doesn't, uh, who invented Rocket Raccoon? Why can't I remember his name? Bill Mantlo. I think Bill Mantlo okay. wrote him. Oh. And uh, I don't think, there, there was no indication in that that he was saying anything about Punisher being drugged. It was just, oh, here's the Punisher and he kills litterers. <laughs> <laughs> he he murders jaywalkers. <laughs> Uh, rule of law, I guess. <laughs> but it was supposed to be a, a, a drugged kind of thing. Okay. Which certainly does not come up in this series. I no. mean, this is definitely the most violent of any of the Marvel series. I think in a lot of ways, it's the most realistic. And I think, at least pacing-wise, this is yet another 13-episode uh, Netflix Marvel series. Yeah. And to a one... Uh, be it Daredevil or Jessica Jones or any of the the ones that that I've liked, I still think thirteen episodes is too much. They always wind up shoving some B plot in there. There's always some stretch where it's like, okay, we got to fill, we got to fill, we got to fill. Uh, and I didn't get that much of a feeling with this one. There were a few places. I think the pacing was still slower than it needed to be. There's always a place. These should be ten episode series. Yeah. There's no need to pad them out to thirteen. Yeah, it's. Uh, that's why Defenders was perfect. What was that eight episodes? Something like eight that. Eight or yeah. nine. Yeah, that that was fine. Because uh, yeah, you get these subplots. They never have the the same way to the main plot. Uh, in this case, the subplot was was Lewis, the vet who went nuts mm-hmm. and uh, started making pressure cooker bombs and stabbing middle aged guys. And there's a middle aged guy who lives in Boston, home of the marathon bombings. Thanks, Marvel. That was a fun <laughs> sequence to to watch. Um, <laughs> But uh, it's it still felt like it moved better than most of the the thirteen. Episode yeah, it series. didn't feel like it didn't feel like any of the story was a waste. Even Lewis, it was compelling because it gave you another look at how PTSD can affect someone other than the Punisher. <laughs> yeah, well, the Punisher is all about PTSD, <laughs> no matter which version of it you read. Yeah, um, I, I think part of it honestly had nothing to do with. The show, it had to do with this one. Most of these Netflix series we watch, they drop on Friday. Yeah. And we start watching them Friday night, and we got 13 hours to try to get to so we can tape on Sunday. So it very much feels that by the end of it, even the best of them, it's like, oh, Jesus, we got three more, how many more hours of this before? And then we got to go straight to the, you know, either to tape or for me to go upstairs and throw up General Gao's chicken. <laughs> or to clean up because the cat's throwing up General Gao's chicken or something. Yeah. I mean, that was one positive thing. Yet another Netflix series where nobody in the house puked. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. so that's the stamp of quality right there, I guess. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's a, I, I think you're right. The, some of the real world issues that it dealt with made everything feel more real and more compelling uh, than pretty much any, any of the other ones and dealt with real world is- issues probably as effective. Maybe Jessica Jones and post-abuse PTSD. Um, 
So, because, yeah, I mean, even with the weird Lewis B plot, it's easier to get into and empathize with a vet who came back from a war, like, broken and unsupported than it is to empathize with, I don't know, a rich kid who trained in kung fu his whole life. He just can't understand the etiquette of a board meeting at the multinational corporation it turns out he owns. Iron Fist sucks. That's all I have to say. So, I mean, what what worked for you? Did it work for you in general? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Um, I I think that John Bernthal has gone out of his way to create a really fleshed out Punisher. So many of these stories in the comic books, uh, the ones that work the best are the ones where you're seeing how the actions of the Punisher affect those around him. So... In those cases, you're sort of getting a view of Frank based on how other people have to deal with the aftermath of his choices. Yes. And in this one, you certainly get that, but you also really kind of get a sense of uh, Frank himself and his motivations and the struggle that he has because he sees himself as already dead for the majority of the movie. And, And therefore, it doesn't really matter life doesn't matter to him. Like all that matters is he's going to take out the people that he feels has wronged him. And then he's going to lie down because his war is done. And I I thought that was an interesting take. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you talk about the stories where the interesting part is how the Punisher's war affects people around him, that's the Greg Rucker run. That's the one, which is probably one of the couple best that the Punisher has ever had. Uh, sorry, Mike Barron. <laughs> and, I, and I feel that a lot of the uh, set design and character design in this particular miniseries took some art cues from Matt Hollingsworth's art in that, as well as from other work done by Tim Bradstreet. And that was just nice to see as a, a comic fan as well. Yeah, you kept pointing that out. I think you had a closer eye toward that than I did. But yeah, definitely the Tim Bradstreet covers from when Garth Ennis yes. was writing it. Yeah, those are just classic looks for The Punisher. And you're kind of a dope to not, if you don't take those ready-made, yeah, here's lighting and camera angles and just take those and use them. Yeah. Uh, and, and it helps that John Bernthal look like he has walked into a few cement walls. <laughs> uh, he, he looks beat to shit. <laughs> somebody, somebody took a fist to his nose eight or 12 times over the course of his life. Some braver human being than I am. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> uh... What worked for me was the violence. I like violence. It's the only way I can come anymore. <laughs> oh, God. It, yeah, I would say that there, there is a certain amount of violence porn going on here. There, it was, it was not, I'm not going to say they glamorized it, but for those folks who like to watch dudes get hit, like to watch dudes get cut, shot, banged up, bleed, fight scenes, it, it's all in there. It, it's, yeah, it's definitely... A violent show. It's weird. It's almost like it tries to have it both ways. Like, I just want to, my war is done. I just want to lie down and die. And everybody around him from, uh, what was his name? Curtis uh, and mm-hmm. his support group. Everybody's trying to get past the war. And it showed, look at the terrible thing that, you know, that the war has done to these guys. But on the other hand, isn't it cool when this particular guy breaks these Guido's legs with a sledgehammer? <laughs> And I will, 
if watching proto Jersey Guidos driving Dodge Challengers get their legs and heads <laughs> shattered by a sledgehammer, if that ever is wrong, I don't ever want to be right. Well, that no, was I mean, fun and glorious. A lot of the violence as committed by Frank was cathartic because you felt as though, yeah, these assholes have it coming. On the other hand, it, it takes you away from, huh, he's working outside the law. Really, this is illegal. <laughs> But it, it serves to emphasize in a lot of places where the system is broken, not only for the veterans coming back from wars, but also in terms of what's happening in our um, policing system in terms of why aren't we able to better take care of violence that's happening at home. And it was illust- illustrative of that. Illustrative? Whatever. It illustrated that might be it. a word. <laughs> it illustrated it. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean ass- assuming, and you know, what what kind of awfulness do you want to buy may have happened by our own folks, both here and overseas. They, they they make a case that part of why Frank lost his wife, and and that kicks off the whole chain of these events, is that he was involved in a black ops operation overseas that involved smuggling heroin back to the United States for money in the corpses of dead soldiers. <laughs> Which, to be fair, I think I first heard about in uh, Lethal Weapon 1. I yes. believe Lethal Weapon 1 is where that is from. If you're going to steal. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, part of, part of whether or not you buy into this will be whether or not you want to believe that such an awful thing is plausible. And if so, yeah, he's justified in... in fucking go on house because he's not able to <laughs> yeah by dealing with real world issues it, it gave everything more weight yeah uh, certainly more weight than you know like I said uh, oh uh, <laughs> I, I learned how to fight after going blind and yet I have to uh, oh do I do criminal justice or do I fight with my ninja buddies to <laughs> <laughs> to bring down the hand. Yeah. This is going to have more power because there's at least a feeling of realism behind it. Yes. Um, it, it was a weird feeling because I like my Punisher as an urban vigilante. You know, we have talked in the past about, I think we talked last week about if, it, it's why I, I don't like the idea that Batman knows Joe Chill killed his parents. Yeah. If Batman knows who did it, then the mission is to stop that guy. And in this case, right from Daredevil Season 2, Frank found out through his uh, work, as <laughs> it were, you know, and from Kingpin, frankly, who wanted to sort of point Frank in a particular direction, okay, these are the people that killed your family. And he's able to trace that all the way up to the very top of the drug cartel who was in charge. He wipes them all out, and then he's done, which is fine. If he knows who it is, that would be his mission, and then he would stop. Yes, and this, this series didn't do anything to change that. It was, okay, other forces come in, be it uh, Micro, be it uh, Billy, to, okay, I have to do these things uh, to save Micro's reputation so he can go back to his family. Fine, I will do these things because I'm being pushed toward it, and it turns out I was wronged. It's yet another mission for people who have wronged him, and now at the end of it, it's, okay, Now what do I do? Yeah, will he... Is he going to be knocking walls down again at the beginning of Punisher Season (laughs) 2? Well, I I think he worked out some things in the course of this. that In every single Punisher story, 
you you get him reminiscing fondly and still grief stricken around the death of, of his wife and his children. In this particular case, you certainly get a healthy dose of that throughout the course of the miniseries, but you also get a sense, particularly near the end of this series, that although he he grieves for them, he's beginning to remember with more accuracy that not everything was rosy in the days leading up to his wife and children's death. There was strife because his wife realized he was having difficulty readjusting to being back, had concerns that he was making multiple um, tours and leaving the family for longer and longer. And this was causing problems because she didn't know whether or not he was ever going to come home. And even when he's home, his mind is still over there. So he's beginning to have a little bit more closure insofar as it's not, it's not everything that he remembered it was. And it's sort of helping to put things in a more realistic perspective for him. So that in the end, when, and it's a very gladiator-like sort of set of flashbacks where, where the wife is trying to convince him to let himself die after the, the CIA operative tunes him up for the 800th time and he's bleeding out um, in this warehouse. He, he makes the decision to, to stay in the world of the living, which is the twist because you're so convinced over the course of it that he's, you know, actually not convinced because it's the Punisher, but the idea is, you know, he's, he's basically ready to lie down and be dead at the end of this. And he changes his mind because he has that realization about, no, it wasn't perfect and there were problems. And so I, I need to stay here for me. Yeah. But even with that, what I kept flashing back to was the, the Garth Ennis, Richard Corbin, the end Mm. where, where Frank kills everybody and then walks off into a radioactive wasteland as the last person on earth to kill the final criminal, which is him. That the Punisher can't die. But then again, Garth Ennis wrote some really good Frank Castle at war stories, and then he got into, yeah, and by the way, Frank may have sold his soul to the devil because he loved war so. What? <laughs> I certainly didn't want to get to that point here. Yeah. It's, it's tricky. If you're going to, if you decide you're going to use the Punisher as a way to explore soldiers coming home from war, PTSD, then you have to make the Punisher human and i just kind of think i like the punisher as a force of nature better now i like the punisher as a force of nature better because it is far more entertaining and requires me to think less that just to think oh yes punisher goes out and kills criminals and uh, that's fun and escapist and uh, look head goes explodo i i don't disagree with you but i think if you're going to have a show called the punisher and actually focus on the punisher you do have to humanize him somewhat because it's really hard to spend an entire miniseries telling stories about the Punisher through somebody else's point of view. And at least still call it the Punisher. Well, and that was that was Rucka's take on it. And it was it was a very good take and a very good way to tell those kind of stories, but historically most people don't. Historically, most people just say, Yeah, we're gonna use this as an excuse to do violent Batman. And maybe that's just me being shallow. I always kind of yeah, like but that's those. how you that's how you get the first Punisher movie. Was that the Thomas Jane one that was based in part on the the Ennis stuff? The original Ennis <laughs> stuff. Yeah, there's the Ennis Marvel Knight stuff, which has uh, a sort of black sense of humor. Yeah, uh, and is sort of goofy about which is itself. Kind of there in the movie, but you got to look for it. 
Yeah, that uh, starts off with, yeah, Spacker Dave with all the crap in his face. Yeah. And uh, Ma Nucci, who winds <laughs> up losing her arms and legs to a tiger or some shit. <laughs> Uh, and the end of that run uh, has Punisher uh, against Wolverine, and Wolverine's just getting blown up and torn down to his skeleton, calling himself a knucklehead. And then there's the Punisher Max stuff that came afterwards, where it's a much different tone and much more, okay, let's treat this like an urban war story. And Ennis is really strong in that way, where, yes, yeah, certainly he can do the black humor uh Preacher hasn't sold five million copies <laughs> for no reason, but he also writes a hell of a war story. Now, sometimes he tries to mix them, and then you've got the Punisher talking to Satan and Saigon or something. That's weird. But, but. I, I think for the purposes of Netflix, they've they've tried to ground all of these stories to a certain degree. Not Danny Rand's, but all the other stories. Yes, in in a, a level of things that actually happen in life. So in Luke Cage, you know, what it's like to live in his neighborhood and the politics in his neighborhood and the crime in his neighborhood and how that affects kids growing up. In Jessica Jones' case, yeah, the, the effects of, of trauma because of abuse and, and how that affects women in particular, but also, you know, Jessica just in terms of what it means to what her sense of identity is because she never asked for these powers. Right. And, and her powers are, are rooted from a place where she lost her parents because she's the one that survived the car accident. Yeah. So <laughs> a, another show with survivor's guilt and yeah. PTSD. Um, and so for, for the Punisher to go, if it was, if it were to choose to go in a different direction with Frank as force of nature, I think it would depart tonally from what the other series we're trying to accomplish it, it definitely would they they try to hit <laughs> yeah they try to reach higher meanings and, and talk about higher things except you're right iron fist which just examines what happens when you make kung fu dull and fucking boring <laughs> um, and by doing it yeah it means you don't get that force of nature punisher uh it becomes a much more morally complex story uh, and certainly it kept us going through 13 episodes, but yeah, and maybe it shows me as shallow. I'll cop to it. It's a, yeah, break somebody else's legs, Frank. It's, oh, go into the chop shop and kill them all and just show. So beneath me, I can just wipe them out. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think we got enough of that in places that for it, it satisfied it for me. At the beginning when he's wiping out all of the drug cartels and he's, you know, he has a, a very wanted kind of moment where he takes a sniper shot from the U.S. side of the U.S., like Texas-Mexico border. Yeah. I mean, that's... <laughs> and, and kills the final boss. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. For everything that this movie does to make it feel more real than, say, Daredevil or The Defenders, it's not no. real. I mean, that is awesome, but I, I went on Google. I don't know a lot about guns. That looked like a fifty caliber rifle, and... On a quick Google, I saw that a muzzle velocity of one of those is 4,000 feet per second. Now, we saw him pull the trigger, and there was, what, a two- or three-second gap yeah. for when he hit the guy? Let's assume it was two seconds. Yeah, at 4,000 feet per second, that would put the drug lord 26 or 2,700 feet uh, yards rather away, and that would... That would, be, that would be the world record for any confirmed kill by any American sniper. 
You're turning this into a math problem and making me sad. I know. <laughs> the funny thing is the actual world record for a confirmed kill is a Canadian sniper at 3,871 yards. So remember that next time you make a joke about the Canadian military. <laughs> Duly we, noted. We might be able... We might be building the wall, in air quotes, on the wrong border. We might be unsafe <laughs> from the wrong side. Oh, Canada. <laughs> da, 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 da. Again, I say that copping to, I know dick about guns, so watch me get like angry emails from Trebuchet saying, you're all wrong about the muzzle velocity. I just Googled it real quick, all right? Don't, oh, he's on that. He's already writing it now. I don't care. Don't at me. He, I don't he, give a he, shit. He's, he's you know, two-finger two packing. And another thing, Rob. It doesn't matter. The point is, you know, there's more realism here, but it's it's not real. You you get shot two or three times the way Frank does. You're not going back into battle tomorrow. It just doesn't you know, for the love of God, <laughs> Stop! We, can can we have a moratorium on people uh, sterilizing gunshot wounds with expensive scotch? Yeah, for, that made me sad. For Christ's sake, Micro, you're living with the Punisher. Go get a big, big, cheap bottle of rubbing alcohol, like, and or save just the, you know a big plastic handle of Poland Springs vodka. Uh, no. It was good enough for my dad. <laughs> people shooting your dad a lot. <laughs> His liver. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a self-inflicted wound. Yeah. Just like here in this fine night shift brewing awake. I believe the title might be deceptive. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, pour it on a wound, mix it with some lemonade, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's a multitasker. It is. Like Alton Brown. Yes. There you go. Uh, I mean, what else worked for you. I mean, for me, one of the biggest things was the relationship between Frank and Micro. Yes. That was an awesome, I hesitate to use the word bromance because I don't want to hate myself, but <laughs> but I was, their relationship legitimately grew across 13 episodes from you know, antagonism and one using the other to legitimate friendship and they're rubbing off on each other. Now it starts off literally every time we see Frank eat, he's just shoveling shit into his face, and yep. he's actually beginning to try to cook stuff by the end because Micro likes better food. Micro is okay. I'll use Frank says if you stick to it, you can learn how to play guitar. He's learning how to play guitar. They're moving toward each other. Probably not good for Micro or his home life when he finally goes home. But <laughs> what the fuck, Micro? Where'd you learn to play guitar? Funny story. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, they, they rub off on each other, and it becomes a really kind of odd couple kind of thing where you know, they start off legitimately antagonistic, and then it's you know just like an old married couple just bitching each other out yeah. good-naturedly, which is kind of cool. It was probably the, the most organic relationship that has grown in a single series of anything Marvel has done, period. Yes. Um, other things I liked, as much as I complained about it while we watched, I thought the depiction of the aftermath of Micro's disappearance, or they think he's dead, uh, in terms of how it's impacted his family was real. In terms of there was one kid who's just out of control <laughs> and nothing could be done. There was one, the daughter was trying to be the good kid and hold everything together and the mom was just trying to do the best she could. <laughs> I can think of one thing you could do with that kid. Uh, Frank very nearly got to it. He, he <laughs> yeah. should have followed through with that knife. <laughs> well. That's why we have a cat. That's why we have a cat. A child exposed to trauma acting out, that's something I should feel for. And I don't, I don't want any fucking part of it. No, you go sit over there. Daddy's drinking. <laughs> He's watching TV and drinking. You go in that corner. <laughs> 
which is what we find um, just unrelated on this past week's episode of Legends of Tomorrow. That's that's why Rory is the way he is from the Vietnam episode, <laughs> because that's what happened to his dad when he came home. <laughs> Are you just trying to force me to use... I burn my family alive. I like to light things on fire. Before I go off on some weird rant to just trick you with it, that's yep. fine. I can live with that. Yep. All right. You're still going to stick it in there later. I know you are. Uh, I don't always. <laughs> um, see, Lucy with the football, if she was smart, every once in a while, she'd, she'd let Charlie Brown kick it. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so... I'll be good. Okay. And again, it makes me kind of shallow. The action scenes that are there are fucking killer. Yeah. Oh, when when Billy's crew goes to the warehouse with the purpose of trying to take out Frank, there's your violence porn. That was, you know, I want to take out everybody and... Uh, yeah, it's uh, that uh, where uh, Frank goes to the safe house and throws the smoke grenade and there's the laser sights going through and you just hear bang, thud, and a light would go out. And then the next one, it's would say, yeah, that was great. Uh, again, I can watch the Punisher kill mooks with a sledgehammer all day long. Yep. Uh, the fight with the goons in the, the forest where Agent Orange is watching on a computer and it's got the point of view shots that look exactly like a first-person shooter. Mm-hmm. I mean, that worked not only to get at the action, but as kind of a way to show, you know... The per, the people who are actually doing the fighting, once you're at a high enough level in government or CIA, if you're on the ground, you're an NPC. You're <laughs> it's you might be the hero of your own story, but you're just a shit. Somebody's got to go get the flag. Yeah. Oh, this guy's dead. The next one will go get him. You're the red shirt. It was really an effective use of visuals to sort of prove that kind of point without saying mm-hmm. it. Although. God knows, unable to help it since it's a Marvel show. Two or three episodes later, oh, he flat out, flat out said it. I'm rich and we don't fight. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, I, no, I got it from the other thing. That's fine, but whatever. For the cheap seats, oh, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> and it's all that brutality. It does make it feel real in a way that none of the other Marvel properties do. For all these fights with Daredevil whacking people with a with a stick. Yeah. In the real world, if you punch a guy in the eye, if you sucker punch him and you break his orbital bone, you're going to fuck up his face and probably his vision for life. Yeah, the, the hand turns to smoke. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, if there's a bunch of guys with guns coming at you, you have to respond with a certain level of violence that will be bloody. I mean, that scene where Curtis pushes the razor arrowhead through Frank, you're not going to see that shit on arrow. But right. Yeah, it's realistic. Right up until you get to the scotch. Stop pouring <laughs> scotch on arrow wounds, for fuck's sake. Yeah. yeah don't. Just don't. There's yeah. your PSA. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, as much as I'm like, I want my Punisher to just be a force of nature, he's certainly a force of nature where he needs to be. Yes. But then again, if you don't make the Punisher a real person, you don't get that Punisher micro-relationship that I liked as much as I did. Well, so I don't think you can spend the entire thing with him being a force of nature without giving the viewer some level of fatigue. You kind of need to give everybody some moments to breathe and listen to dialogue, maybe do some character building. <laughs> no, make it four episodes, just four <laughs> hours of the Punisher killing his way across America. They, For God's sake, they do it with Deadpool. <laughs> Colin Bunn does it with Deadpool at least twice a year for four issues at a whack. We can do it with the Punisher. Then again, the Punisher kills Christmas is, I think, a thing. Or yeah, that, I think it is a thing. Or is that Lobo? I forget. In the 90s, uh, it almost doesn't matter which one you pick. There is a Lobo Christmas issue. 
God help us all. <laughs> the 90s were a very strange time. <laughs> Sam Keith, I believe. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, it's not for everybody. Did anything else work for you? I liked Billy as a villain, eventually. Yeah, yeah I like Billy. Billy's Jigsaw now. Billy's face went away. <laughs> yeah, and I should have seen that coming. That final scene, uh, final final fight on the on the carousel was great. Also, when you're talking about force of nature. Yeah, no, it's... <laughs> Billy's face went away. (laughs) Billy's face went away. Billy's going to become Jigsaw. Spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I should have seen that coming. The sad thing is, you know, I'm old enough to remember Punisher with Mercy Bullets. I don't remember Jigsaw's origin, and I I should, because I researched it to see when it was, and uh, it was Amazing Spider-Man 161 and 162, and I think I remember those covers, and I think I had them. I know I had 164 because that was the issue where it looked like uh, it was Spider-Man was fighting Kingpin and the pier collapsed and Kingpin went in the water and didn't come out. And I know I had that one. And I think I remember the other covers. By the way, if you Google Amazing Spider-Man and like 162, uh, there's some kind soul who has like scanned these issues and put them on YouTube. Oh. Uh, Spider-Man comic book three is the username. So you can actually go see some of these. So yeah, if you do that with uh, Spider-Man 161 and 162, you can see the origin of Jigsaw. Huh. Again, I think I had them, but I didn't remember it all. So yeah, even when they were saying Billy's name and I, I should, And telegraphing it with shit like, oh, your pretty face. <laughs> yeah, that I feel shame. I should have seen that coming. <laughs> well, because there was an argument to be made unless you, you know, Wikipedia the character uh, that Agent Orange could have been because there's a certain point where it's like, oh, I think Frank's going to make his face go away too. <laughs> yeah, well, he started to get scars after the first punch, so yeah. that, that made a certain amount of sense. But yeah, I, I feel shame. I should have known better. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, Satisfying things also when uh, Mary Elizabeth Mastri... Anno, Mastri Master Antonio. Master Antonio, thank you. Who is the deputy assistant of the CIA. I think that was her title. Um Sure completely blew Agent Orange shot at what he wanted in terms of you know, being able to have his cake and eat it too with the black ops he was running um, away and at home to clean up after himself. And she's like, no, there's no place for you in my office. You need to resign immediately. <laughs> yeah, and it's... If there was a moment of wish fulfillment in this show <laughs> where, uh, God, I like to believe at some level in the federal government in the spook... yeah. Spook community that somebody has morals. I'm not totally convinced of that. But we don't talk politics though. We we just got through Thanksgiving. Yeah, no more politics. <laughs> but whenever she referenced, you know, you know what, you're right. I'm going to have some shit on my shoe now. You still need to resign. Effective immediately. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he did not have the chance. Yeah. Uh, he got full uh Tyrelled. <laughs> If you've seen Blade Runner, <laughs> you know what happened. Well, that's just Asian it. Like, instead of instead of realizing that, huh, I fucked up. Maybe I should change my ways. Growth mindset. Um, he fixed mindset. Decides that Frank is to blame <laughs> and wants to tune Frank up. You've been reading education textbooks today, haven't you? I have. Fixed mind- <laughs> mindset. I have. There's no learning on this show. What the what the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> Even Frank had growth mindset by the end. He realized that he could live. <laughs> <laughs> growth mindset. It's Dan Didio's fault. <laughs> no, Dan Didio's fault. We'll talk about it in a minute. Yeah. Um, uh, what other notes I have here? Oh, yeah, there was Madani. She was also part of this story. Uh, <laughs> I liked Madani. I, I, I appreciated 
how she worked in terms of trying to bridge between the things that happened overseas because what started this for her was her informant or I think it was informant was the police officer that Frank's unit killed. (laughs) Right. But other than that, did she serve any legitimate purpose for the plot? Um, she was able to help bring in some forces to, to coordinate for Frank near the end of the movie. (laughs) Yeah, that was that was, and, ex- and her dad was a doctor when he needed to be stitched up. Uh, yeah, <laughs> she she set up the uh, the hostage exchange to make it look like Micro got killed so that he could be extracted and reunited with his family. Yes, but otherwise, yeah. I, <laughs> well, I think she was also her the intent her the intention of her character was to be the counterpoint to Frank. She's trying to work within the system to bring down the same people that Frank is trying to bring down, but she's trying to do it through the law and is getting stymied. And failing miserably. No, but that's my point. Like, so when I go back to the whole point of, you know, when, when systems don't work <laughs> and you want to make this whole case for, no, being a vigilante is wrong. Well, <laughs> it's not like Madani was having things work out, doing it the correct way. Yeah, the only time institutions even remotely started to work were yeah at the very end of it getting micro out and yeah yeah Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio saying okay yeah no you're not part of this administration <laughs> it's it's a weird message to be sending it's the 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 cops that we see the one cop that goes up to a what was his name uh, crap I already forgot and <laughs> I put my note away the kid who was living in a foxhole oh uh, Lewis Lewis yeah he goes up to him and hassles him. Uh, which just starts to set him off further. Yeah, there's almost no institution that really works. Right. The press kind of fails, even though uh, Karen is there trying to do some stuff. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so at the very end to be like, oh no, some institutions are working, it's far too late at that point. Right. And yeah, frankly, the only other thing that she did was she popped up and said freeze to make Billy turn around and shoot her in the head. (laughs) Just long enough for Frank to be able to get his mitts on him and jam his face into the mirror. Right. So. Yeah. But yeah, otherwise it, everything fails, including whistleblowing. Yes. Micro tries to blow the whistle. And next time, Micro, you want to be a whistleblower? Go to a public library. Use Tor. Don't use your <laughs> fucking home computer like a dipshit. Don't be a chucklehead. That Micro. was glaring. That was that was glaring. There were a few things that were glaring. There were a couple of glaring problems with this. We've got the moment I forget which episode. It was the one where uh, Frank went and yeah broke into the safe house where he was having the moral dilemma of should I kill soldiers who are just doing their job? Well, shit, Frank. In the episode before, you killed like six of them who were coming for you in the forest for you mm-hmm. and Gunner. Uh, you've already you literally just did it. Moral conundrum solved, I guess. Yeah. Now, and you can argue, oh, no, those weren't soldiers. Those were from Anvil. Well, Frank, you were on kind of an extrajudicial death squad for a while yourself. Um, yeah, but that's also why he's ready to die. It's that same sort of, you know, when you're talking about the end when he walks off into the radioactive waste. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Punisher in any form has ever thought of himself as not guilty. Yeah. But it just seemed very weird to, oh, no, after I killed these six guys. Now I have to not kill people, <laughs> even though I'm the Punisher. And we'll kill people in the next episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's 
her biggest contribution for taking down the Kandahar gang, taking a bullet to the head. That's what she brought to the show. That and boobs. <laughs> yeah, she slept with Billy. Yeah, so fine, softcore pornography sex scenes. I have the internet. I had no time for it. I'm like, wow, you can do anything on TV now. I think I may um, have been out of the room feeding the cat at that point, actually. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, oh, she's making a poor choice. Uh, I got to go feed Parker. <laughs> Yeah, so this has been a weird one to talk about just because so much time has... I mean, so much time. It's been a week and a half. But even so, I remember I, watching it, I really enjoyed it. But I still had to go back and really look at recaps and be like, now, what happened again in some of it? No, there's, there's a lot there. There's a lot to like. But yeah, if you are the sort of person that just wants to see Frank like he was in the prison in Daredevil, there's stuff that happens in the in between those kinds of scenes. <laughs> And yeah. the, and, the, and this this movie is intel- intended to tell the story of of soldiers who are still at war even when they're home and 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 their struggles. So it's not an urban vigilanteism story. Yeah, and I say, <laughs> oh, that's really what I wanted, but still, I I found that I enjoyed it, and I found that having something somewhat weightier behind the Punisher's motivations and the motivations of everybody going on that had at least a certain amount of realism behind them. <laughs> Again, would have been the world record sniper shot, but awesome <laughs> to see. Uh, yeah, made it go a little. It made it stronger for me. I do as much as I say, you know, oh, no Batman with a gun. I really like this a lot. I'd probably put it Jessica Jones Daredevil season one. This maybe Daredevil season two. Although I could go back and forth on on those. No, Luke Cage is pretty strong, so... Luke Cage is solid. I, I like this better than Luke Cage. Okay. I did. That's no, okay. That's okay. <laughs> At the same time, yeah, it's just weird talking about, because most of these we talk about, we, we watch them and immediately get on the mic. <laughs> right, right, when it's all fresh, and yeah. we've had about a, a week to let this percolate. Yeah, and that's that's the hard thing about these episodes, because as as part of putting together the prep for today's show... Yeah, I went back and had to look up shit that happened in Daredevil Season 2, because at this point, that was more than a year and a half ago. And that's the problem with these Netflix series, and again, why none of them should be 13 episodes. <laughs> yeah. You can't go back and revisit it. It's, I, we have not gone back to rewatch any of these series. You watch them, and you're done. And that's, well, it's, 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 a, it's a time allotment. <laughs> it's like you have to make a decision that you're committing 13 hours of your life to a given thing as opposed to, you know, oh, okay, the Blu-ray of Spider-Man Homecoming dropped. Okay, that's, that's, that's two hours of my life. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I could have caught back up with what happened before Thor Ragnarok if I'd had four hours and hated myself because those movies were awful. But, <laughs> but yeah, you can't go back and revisit these easily. No. You know, and even if it's like, oh, I want a particular moment, it's like, fuck, what episode is it? Uh, where in the episode did it happen? It's... Yeah, these are one-off Marvel events, which is kind of weird because they're using the same continuity that the movies are and making it all but impossible on an exponential level. Because, yeah, now this is all taking place in a place where they've been, uh, what, seven different <laughs> series? I think the so. The smallest of which is eight hours? Yeah. So it's a, it's a weird kind of comic continuity that <laughs> I don't think I've seen anywhere else. No. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, anything else about Punisher? It's uh, I, I liked it, but yeah, it was it, it was kind of a weird experience. No, was... I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to because you do run the risk of it's going to be one note, and it definitely was not. No, definitely not. 
I don't know if the one note thing leads to a joke. Shall we move on to Doomsday Clock? Yes. Let's. <laughs> uh, yes, have some. After all this time, uh, Doomsday Clock number one, <laughs> written by Jeff Johns, art by Gary Frank. Um, number one of 12. Yes. So They're going to do this to us for the next year. This, uh, I'm so happy. Let's let's be fair. This is a, a mini-series. They're, they're never on time. The original Watchmen we'll do was this for the next time. year and a half. That's probably more accurate. Yeah. At least unlike Marvel, <laughs> I doubt they'll chuck a couple extra issues on the end of it. Yeah, that's I, true. Uh, yeah, look, there's... <laughs> I've been dreading this. It's got a lenticular cover. This particular one does. It's a Dave Givens cover that if you turn it a little bit, uh, Rorschach's mask turns into the Superman and Wonder Woman and Batman logos, even though the Superman logo is not symmetric. Uh, what the hell? It's there. Yep. It's on the uh, it's on Rorschach's mask. Yep. All right, look, there, there's two ways that you can look at this, and one of them is, fine, this is a canon sequel to Watchmen, bringing those elements into the DC universe, or you can look at it as standalone professional fanfic, a way to let admittedly good creators to play in Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' sandbox in a way that doesn't apply to the original Watchmen. Uh, and I'm going to try to look at this as column B, that it's fanfic that doesn't really matter because I, I have to, because this has no business to exist at all. I would be inclined to agree with you, except for the way that it's impacting or going to be impacting all of the DC Rebirth stuff. We don't know that for sure yet. Until this is all done, we're not going to know it. It is possible that, and, and I, I hope this is the case, that this becomes a little... I don't want to say pocket universe, but a little self-contained story where these elements come together and the new 52 is resolved within it and it is closed off in a way that can make it, okay, it may have happened, it may not have happened, and even if it did, it's uh, look, it's a comic book. You can say, fine, all this happened and then everything looped back to the beginning of Watchmen and you can believe whether it happened in canon or not. I'm speculating. Okay. Because and I hope that's the case because this... If you're going to say this is canon, this has no business to exist at all because it would be inexcusable. It's <laughs> when it comes to Alan Moore. Look, I, I used to work in insurance and yes. I've read my share of contracts and I believe in contracts. And I do believe on a large level, if Alan Moore was not prepared for the possibility that Watchmen would never go out of print, which means the rights would never have reverted back to him, he should not have signed the fucking thing. If a corporation can find a way to fuck you, it will fuck you. That's the way the world works. Yes. Now, with that said, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons clearly thought that they were signing contracts that would get them the rights back. The intention was not to give DC Comics Watchmen to do whatever they wanted with. In perpetuity. <laughs> exactly. It's That was not what they intended. Should they have been smarter? Should they have had their lawyers or their representatives say, you know what, why don't we just make it 12 months instead of, oh, as long as it's in print? Yeah. Why don't we make a deal? Fine, keep it in print for as long as you want, and we'll just get a standard royalty rate, but we want the rights. There's a million things you could have done. They signed it. The situation is what it is. Clearly, the creators never intended for this to happen. Yeah, there's there's the the spirit of the contract and the letter of the contract. <laughs> 
And a corporation will go with the letter of the contract every time. Yes. If anybody says it's just boilerplate, don't fucking sign it. Yeah. Because boilerplate will come and get you. That's just the way it, it works. It is. It's, yeah. Look, <laughs> also, we've had before Watchmen, before this. And I have treated that the same way. It is fanfic that has nothing to do with the original book. Again, I have to. Because if I don't, then... I have to believe that Rorschach battled domestic terrorists with Travis Bickle from Taxi Driver. Because that happened in Brian Azzarello's Rorschach series. And also, particularly for Doomsday Clock, at least with Before Watchmen, they tried to cut a deal with Alan Moore, and they did something with Dave Givens to at least have him not say, all right, I hate this just as much as Alan. Yeah. Uh, they, nobody got a phone call with this. Neither one. Dave Givens has said, nobody talked to me before DC Rebirth yeah. became a thing. And I've not seen anything in the Comics Press saying anybody has since then. So... This is something that the creators have nothing whatsoever to do with, including even a courtesy phone call. Now, also, when it comes to bringing in... Look, I've made the joke before. I don't want to see Rorschach fights ambush bug. I mean, it's it's a joke, but frankly, if you take Doomsday Clock as part of the Watchmen universe, it's nothing but a slick version of Rorschach and ambush bug. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with... The regular Watchmen books. I got to take it as something else. And I'm trying to look at it that way so I don't automatically hate it. <laughs> and if I can do that and be honest, this is a better book than I expected. Okay. It, it's flawed. We'll certainly talk about the flaws. But let, let's start with, well, okay, I'll say let's start with the good what did you take from this as I've ranted now for 10 minutes about, oh, this book is reprehensible, but I'm going to say I liked parts of it. I, I don't feel as strongly as you do about the the sanctity of Watchmen. I do agree with you and, and feel for more and Gibbons in terms of how they were fucked over by DC. But that that's happened. We, we all have to move on with our lives. Um, it's... It's what the market will bear. And there is a, a popular hunger out there, rightly or wrongly, for more stories with these characters. And at the very least, it's clickbait for for those people who are like, no, no, there none shall be. There will be no more. Click, 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 click. Look, my question is, which one of us is moving out? Me or you? Because I don't think I can live with... That that's fine. No, but that being uh, that being said, um, I I do think that Jeff Johns wrote this. Jeff Johns thought some things through somewhat with this. They bring back a Rorschach. It's not the original one. The mystery is who is this guy? Apparently, the internet thinks it's his psychiatrist. Yeah, we'll talk, <laughs> we'll talk about that. Um, I do kind of like the irony. Oh, we're spoiling this, by the way, that Ozymandias, <laughs> who's back, um, goes to all the trouble of framing Dr. Manhattan uh, to make him look like he's given everybody he's ever known cancer, and now he's got a brain tumor the size of a baby's fist. Um, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> I do like uh, the characters that we meet uh, marionette and mime that I guess are based on Punch and Judy. Uh, Punch and Julie. Julie, I'm sorry. Yeah, which were Charlton villains, I think, for Captain Adam. Yeah. 
so, I mean, there's there's some interesting stuff going on here. Do we need it? <laughs> no, we don't need it. <laughs> I'm trying not to look at it on that basis. Yeah, I mean, the whole conceit of, of being able to do rebirth has to do with the idea of somebody fucking with timelines that we could set things right. Were there 800 different other ways they could have done that without bringing Dr. Manhattan and the Watchmen universe into play? Yes, I've heard of this character called Rip Hunter. However, there you go. <laughs> however, this is what we have. Oh, I've heard of this character called the Dark Knight Batman, which mm. was just as much of the grim and gritty uh, <laughs> explosion as anybody else uh, in 1986. I think the difference is uh, Frank Miller will still work for DC, so they don't want to fuck him over. Right. That's my guess. Again, going back to this, this was an interestingly told story. There are flaws, but I didn't hate it. As long as I can treat it like it doesn't matter, I didn't hate it. I can nitpick it to death, and I'm gonna. <laughs> death by a thousand cuts. Yeah, but <laughs> but look, the art is spectacular. Yeah, Gary Frank is not the same kind of artist as Dave Gibbons. Dave is more of a straight-up cartoonist. Yes. You know, his figures are realistic, but he's not going for photorealism. He's got a thicker line. It's a cartoon. It's comic art. Uh, Gary Frank goes a lot more for legit photorealism. Uh, that works with a universe that's as human as Watchmen tries to be. He's got great facial expressions. The expressions on Marionette's face when Rorschach shows her the picture of her kid. Uh, Mime's face when he's finishing off the convicts. Face that looks very much like the Joker. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah, that was another Thanksgiving conversation, a video call with my brother screaming, I won't read DC, there's three Jokers now. I'm like, no, there's only one, but there might be more because of this, and mine might be one of them, and the comedian might be one of them, and you're really missing out reading Rebirth, but... <laughs> Thanksgiving sucks. Um, another thing positive, like Watchmen, starts off with a mystery, where's Dr. Manhattan? Starts off with a, a bigger mystery for comics fans, and you hit on it. Who's the new Rorschach? Yeah. Uh, and yes, I've read the same thing saying it's either, yeah, his doctor. Uh, I've read it was uh, the kid who was reading the uh, pirate comic. Yep. Uh, I don't think it can be either one of them because uh, we both saw them uh, dead in uh, issue 12 of Watchmen. Uh, <sighs> the thing to remember. It shouldn't be a mystery who Rorschach is. It really shouldn't matter. Because in the original, you know, who Rorschach was is a mystery, but it's one where the answer, Alan Moore literally showed it to you on the first page. This is mm -hmm. Rorschach walking with the sign through the, com the comedian's blood. I mean, a big part of the original Rorschach's reveal was that he was nobody. Yeah, he's just some poor kid with a shitty upbringing. Yeah. It's... It was a, oh, let's get his mask off for his secret identity. Who gives a shit? He's just, he's a, just a guy. <laughs> he's a smelly nobody. And frankly, <laughs> they treat him like Batman. He's the world's shittiest detective. <laughs> he's just, he's a terrible superhero. I yeah. mean, think about it. Rorschach got all this attention in the 80s. Rorschach's first deductive reasoning is that the comedian got killed by somebody who was targeting costumed heroes. So right out of the gate, he's completely and thoroughly fucking wrong <laughs> about everything that he thinks. He's a shitty hero. Yeah. it's He's wrong all the time. All he is is brutal. The only crime he ever saw with detective work was Gerald Grice 
you know, who was killing those children and he was too late to fucking do anything about it. He couldn't stop Ozymandias. He couldn't save Moloch. He couldn't, uh, he couldn't deal with any part of Adrian's plan. No, I mean, and on top of that, he had all these conspiracy theories going. He, he's, he's in a way the worst caricature of a vigilante. <laughs> uh, he's terrible. The best, the most successful he could have been would have had his his fucking journal published, undo Adrian's plan and doom the world to nuclear war. That's his that's his win-win. That's his action. What would you call it? Action mind? Change mind? Uh Growth mindset. Growth mindset. Yeah, that's his growth. That's growth. Yeah. No, that's that's not what you think it is. All right. The, <laughs> the the other thing with this is he, he makes me think of like when they when they show documentaries of those individuals out there who are so inspired by heroes that they want to be like their neighborhood watch vigilante group and they dress up and yeah and they go around and 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 sometimes they're helpful but other times they're not really helpful and some of them are kind of fringy wingnuts uh-huh <laughs> that's that's Rorschach <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah he was never all that dangerous he was a shitty detective we see Rorschach in the original Watchmen in two honest to god fights there's a couple things where he ambushes people. He jumps out of the refrigerator at Moloch yep. and wins, and uh, th- he does a couple ambushes. But his two his two real fights, the, he fucking loses. Yeah, he uh, yeah he fights the cops, and then he gets captured, and he fights Ozymandias and loses. He loses both of his fucking fights. Yeah, all he can do is surprise people and then beat on them. But or- he's got some sort of level of weird street rep because when he's in the prison, yeah, everybody is legitimately afraid of him. Well, it's, it's because he's brutal. He will be abnormally violent in situations that don't cause for it. Yeah, you know, some remember we see him as a kid who, in response to teasing, bites somebody's nose off. You know, he he wants to know where somebody is, so oh he'll God, walk into he's a my sister. <laughs> he'll walk. Your <laughs> sister's Rorschach. Uh, she bit a kid once. Doubly uncool. <laughs> but, but yeah, he'll go into a bar and just start breaking fingers. Yeah. To, to find out where somebody is, it's he's violent when he doesn't need to be, and that's frightening. But he that doesn't make him a good. He's not Batman. Yeah. He's a dick who hides in a refrigerator and goes boo. Is that when I was a kid, I used to hide around the door frame for my dad when he came out of the bathroom. I'd jump out and go, boo! And I almost killed him every single time of a heart attack. That doesn't make me fucking stick from Daredevil. It makes me an <laughs> asshole who hides and jumps. If I'd done it and hit my dad in the head with a stick, that doesn't make me the fucking Dark Knight. Oh my God, are you Ambush Bug? <laughs> <laughs> Ambush Bug fought Superman. Ambush Bug has more fucking street cred than Rorschach does, if you think about it. That's part of what I did like about this issue, is taking a step back to this new Rorschach, there is an implication that he is considered even more dangerous than the original. He completely ignores threats from Mime and Marionette, like they don't even matter. There's a point where Ozymandias is fucking around with him and seems intimidated by this Rorschach. Yes. Which is a bold statement considering... Because it's Ozymandias. Yeah, Rorschach was nothing to Ozymandias in the original book. But at the same time, it's another case, this Rorschach doesn't do anything. Yeah, the the implied threat, though, really makes you wonder. It it paints that kind of picture of, huh. (laughs) Yeah. So, 
That's why I, I think the the mystery of who Rorschach is doesn't matter. Have it be a nobody. Make it nobody from the original book. Just some dude who decided I'm going to do this. Uh, and you know, oh, he could be more dangerous because he's not predictably right wing the way Rorschach was. Whatever side he picks, he's equally brutal. But yeah, have it turn out he doesn't even know how to fight. <laughs> he, he just sucks. He's getting by on bullshit and the, the reputation of the mask. The first time somebody throws a punch, he goes down like Frazier. He just goes out. That Last would be awesome. Joe. <laughs> because, yeah, it's, if you think about it, Rorschach is not that bad a motherfucker. He's a douchebag. He's a shitty detective, and he can't fight. He's got a cool costume, and if you're 15 years old, moral relativism looks awesome. That's mm. all Rorschach's ever had going for him. The adoration of 15-year-olds. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So I, oh, we're getting Rorschach fight Batman? I'm not sure Rorschach can... <laughs> I'm thinking fight sure his way out of a tie his shoe. wet paper bag, for Christ's <laughs> sake. I've never seen any evidence of it. He just he doesn't get scared, and he'll be violent when most people wouldn't. Eh, no, no big deal. One of the problems that I had with this book was <laughs> Jeff Johns completely undoes the end of the original book. The great question is does Seymour pick up Rorschach's journal and publish parts of it and in publishing it completely blow away Adrian's plan Mm. and doom the world and what do we find out in this oh yeah Seymour published it and nobody paid any attention to it for seven fucking years nobody picked up on it nobody noticed that poor Seymour got killed and the journal got stolen seven years it makes print. Nobody pays any attention to it until suddenly the New York Journal publishes it. And somehow now it's so devastating that we get state television. And oh, yeah. There's clearly, not that we're supposed to be talking about politics. There's clearly uh, some parallels that Johns is trying to run with current events as they are happening right now in 2017. And I get it. Oh, it's. I get it. <laughs> By the third panel, he's got Rorschach talking about deplorables and yeah. somebody holding up a sign that says "Make America Safe Again." It's he's absolutely referencing current politics. I have kind of a problem with that. I have less of a problem with that. Alan Moore was kind of doing the same thing, but then again, he was placing it in 1985 and imagining, okay, this entire different present that came from the idea of we have a Dr. Manhattan in 1958 Mm -hmm. or so that can create all this stuff and make a whole different world. He was still commenting on current politics up to a point. Yes. But yeah, it's, it was current politics as 1986 was in 1986. Right. (laughs) As opposed to, Oh, let's take all this stuff. And yeah, none of that really makes any sense if you stop and think about it. Yeah. Uh, Although I suppose Johns is trying to make the comment that under the politics of 1986, as it played out in the original book, it would have led to this more quickly. I- <laughs> no, it doesn't make any fucking sense. All right. Robert Redford's president, right? Yep. We saw Robert Redford was running for president at the end of the first Watchmen. Hell Hydra. Uh, yes, indeed. <laughs> but... uh he was running against Richard Nixon, which would have made him a Democrat, mm-hmm. and yet the state-run television network that he puts up has William F. Buckley, who's a well-known conservative, right. doesn't make any sense. But they, they also, also make a point that Redford makes a heel turn between his first term and his second term. 
So it's it's like it didn't really matter what party he belonged to. Well, what what heel turn? Because he, he ran on a platform about um, like the no nukes and all of that, and then discarded that at some point. I thought he discarded it after it was discovered that Adrian's plan was uh, it, the whole alien thing was bullshit. See, I read that as um, it was released to the New York Journal so that he would have the excuse. Like it was, it was a, a Machiavellian kind of. Yeah, they knew this stuff was out there, but he was never serious about what he what he wanted to do. And now, going into the second and possibly final term, I'm going to start all of this other shit so that I can consolidate my power, so that I can turn my presidency into a dictatorship. Yeah, but that doesn't make any fucking sense because again, it was published in 1986, and there there is a statement in one of the back matter that because it's a Watchmen book, so there's got to be back matter yep. that. You know, oh, just nobody noticed it because nobody paid any attention to this kind of far right wing media. Yeah, Morton Downey Jr. had a huge hit mm-hmm. TV show right around this time. Uh, yeah, it, it would have had some readership. I mean, my God, it gets referenced in Nova Express in the original one. You know, is it the same as dropping it on the front page of the New York Times? Uh, no. Uh, would the owner of the New Frontiersman, whose name I forget, who isn't Seymour, would he have probably called the New York Times with, hey, I've got this thing and I'm publishing it here first, but by the way, uh, we'll give you licensing rights for this many dollars so that I can pay Seymour to go get more cheeseburgers as opposed to Gunga Diner. I, I think what led me to to believe this is in one of these back matter pieces, it says, on the eve of the election, while he trails behind in the polls, President Redford will deliver a speech revealing the alien monster that attacked New York was a hoax perpetrated by the world's smartest man. So it felt to me as though this was all a contrived thing to throw Adrian under the bus so that he could win his second term. And then it didn't really matter what his previous campaign promises were. He wanted to be able to consolidate the nukes. Which is fine, but even then it doesn't hold up. So it's like, okay, I'm going to seize power. I'm going to somehow use this as an excuse to bury the media, who at the beginning is reporting exactly what's going on anyway, so it's not like there's there's no indication here that the media is against him. They're publishing the Soviets are pushing in toward Poland. Yep. And then suddenly, somehow, he suspends the First Amendment for reasons, I suppose, so I could see, okay, I'm going to do all this as a dodge. I'm going to do this, yeah, to seize power and consolidate my power. But at the same time, he's given the orders to bring nuclear missiles to launch status, which seems like a stupid thing to do, because now you're just one step away from somebody getting nervous and turning a key. And yet, while that is happening, and Ozymandias and Rorschach are convinced the nukes are going to fly, not like in the original, oh, it's going to happen sometime soon, we're really at DEFCON 1. Uh, No, it's happening in three hours and 40 minutes. And yet, he's still sending troops to Karnak to try to seize Ozymandias to prove to the world that it's his fault and not America's fault. The, the things that are going on here just don't hold up. They don't add up. I'm pausing because I'm going to burp up some fine porter uh, awake. awake. <laughs> this is... By night shift brewery. This is respectably high in alcohol, it turns out. This is like 7%. I thought I was going light tonight. No wonder I'm a mental. Ruined. He's ruined everyone. Yes, but... We promised these scumbags a show. So we'll plow forward. <laughs> and also... 
how does this with Superman play into this? Because I can't imagine in a world where supposedly all of this nonsense is going on and Superman exists and he's married to Lois Lane that they're even beginning to allow the president to even think about doing any of this nonsense. Now, see, I took that as that's happening. That sequence is happening in the DCU, not the Watchmen universe. There will be a crossover. How that happens, if it happens as a result of Superman being killed by Doomsday, he crosses over into this universe. Some, I don't know how that's going to work, but I took that as happening in the DC universe. And somehow these are close enough and parallel enough that this level of horror going on in the Watchmen universe percolated across and started to give Superman nightmares. Maybe. I thought that was a really good sequence. I thought it was a great closing line. If you're going to bring Superman into the Watchmen universe, do it like this and do it slow. Yep, it's just Clark Kent having a nightmare with whatever's going on is terrible enough. I don't think I've ever had a nightmare before, Lois. I thought that was reasonably solid. Yeah. In order to get DC characters and Watchmen to mesh... I think you need to have a remarkably small amount of violence because there was a remarkably small amount of violence in Watchmen. Mm -hmm. It was people talking about things they had done. The most violent thing, ironically, the most violence and most effective fighting was fucking Silk Spectre and Night Owl when they got mugged. Yeah. (laughs) And they're dealing with like four or five muggers and just completely wipe them out. Ironically, they seem to be the most, other than Ozymandias, the the most physically able to do it. And then, yeah, that fight with uh, uh, Rorschach and Night Owl against Ozymandias where it's like they're not even there. Right. Remarkably little violence in that book. (laughs) Superhero violence in particular. How are you going to have Batman come in here and fight who exactly? Silk Spectre? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Superman flying in to... Silk Spectre, Catwoman, fight. Yeah, I mean, whether Ozzy has a plan, oh no, we'll somehow bring Superman in at the moment of his death to stop the nukes. I don't know how this is going to play out. Catwoman, who, by the way, is like ridiculously hyper-competent as a fighter now, based on what I've read in Batman, like took out one of Ra's Ghul's daughters. Like, oh yeah, took Talia down. Yeah. Like, yeah, he wiped her the fuck out. Like, that was unexpected. Yes, the, the stealth jewel thief. Accomplished sword fighter. Yeah, and 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 her sidekick Holly, the serial killer. I, <laughs> I kind of like I kind of like that issue. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Tuesday Clock. <laughs> yeah, none of the stuff going on in the background really holds up if you think about it too much. But there could be stuff that still needs to be revealed. It's hard to tell from just a first issue. And I do like the urgency of yeah, we've got three hours. The the keys are in the launch consoles. We didn't have that level of urgency in the original Watchmen. So, okay, it's uh, I feel like there's stakes here. Again, I'm, I'm trying to look at <laughs> look at the positives here. It's very easy for me not to because yeah. part of me just doesn't fucking want this. You know, the, the thing that bothers me the most is the Rorschach's journal thing. Mm-hmm. By saying, oh, it was published and it didn't make any difference, it just lets the air out of the end of the original well, book. It feels like a comment on on current media there are certain stories and we see it more now since lots of things make their way to the internet before they make their way to the evening news sure so it feels like something like all right well is this out there seven years ago and not getting the boost that it needs because it's a crank publication and everybody's ignoring it 
or is there a larger conspiracy to not promote this story? That's where you start to get into that sort of, you know, who who's responsible for this and to what degree? <laughs> Which I get, but it doesn't make it more, doesn't make it less disappointing to be, oh, this cliffhanger moment where I leave it entirely in your hands. And whether the end of the world is coming or not, we just don't know. And it's a debate that comics fans can have to turn that into, oh yeah, I wound up not fucking meaning anything. It's, I'd have been happier just saying, oh yeah, you know what? It wasn't published and they threw it out. Yeah. But they can't do that because for Jeff Johns, it's got to be too sweet a plum to have this artifact that Batman can get his hands on. And we see a lithograph in the back of the book of Batman reading Rorschach's journal. Yes. So having this kind of plot device available to put into somebody's hands, you know, yeah, you can't just say, oh, they threw it out. Even though we saw the comedian's pin mm-hmm. in the Batcave after it had gone into Eddie Blake's grave and should not have been recoverable, I would think this journal could show up, I don't know, in the, the bat dumpster, the <laughs> glove compartment of the Batmobile. <laughs> after being thrown in the garbage. The, the back of the bat pantry. I say, Master Wayne, I went yeah. looking for the joy of cooking when I came across this book. <laughs> Have it wrapped up in the bottom of a box of Fruit Loops. <laughs> Jeff Johns loves cereal. <laughs> Why not? <clears throat> That's another thing, and this is something I thought was clever up to a point. A, a big point that Alan Moore had in Watchmen, it wasn't a point, but sort of a, a world-building exercise, was the idea of if you got a Dr. Manhattan who can create this technology to make the world ultimately smaller, where we've got airships and uh, electric cars, you'd have influence in culture mm. uh, from further overseas. That's why you get things like, oh, the biggest fast food is Gunga Diner, because, yeah, why not? It doesn't have to be American. It's a larger world. And Jeff Johns, I think, probably extrapolated that with, okay, if the world has become even larger, where, yep, we're all just a big, happy family up against the aliens, there would be a certain amount of lashback, flash, not backlash. Backlash. 70% alcohol. I'm not going to be drinking this during the show again, I'll tell you what. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, a certain amount of backlash and, and... I don't want to say nationalism via food, but I think it says something that everything is Gunga Diner and all these exotic places to get food in the first one. And it's Morning Joe's, get yourself some pancakes. And of course, Rorschach was, yep, I want American food. Yep. But at the same time, it's like, all right, well, Jeff Johns is thinking. The, the reason I know that Alan Moore had that was, yeah, this book made me drag out my absolute Watchmen edition, the giant one with all the back matter, where Alan Moore flat out says, oh yeah, this is what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. I can picture Jeff Johns going, I can do that and I love breakfast. (laughs) Sure, pancakes. Pancakes. But at least least he's trying. Sure. It's, look, we've established over a year and a half since DC Rebirth, I want to hate this. I, I really do. But I've read it like four or five times since I got it. There's some positive here. There really is. It's I'm still thinking about it. Mm-hmm. It's a success on that level. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to look on the bright side. It's it's not going to stop coming out. <laughs> no. We've we've got 11 more after this. Yeah, so it's okay. Clearly I can nitpick it apart. 
I don't know. It feels like it's not that essential. And I guess that's the best I can hope for. It's okay. It's pretty. Sure, if I treat it like fan fiction, yeah, it's nice to spend a little more time with some of these characters. But that's that's really as far as I can take it. Yeah. Ultimately, it's going to come down to what impact does it actually have on the DC universe going forward. And then once this event is all said and done... Because, again, this is all happening in conjunction with there is at least one other event happening with the DC Metal stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that's going to... Maybe it'll touch it. I don't know. I don't know. But <laughs> I'm just saying, after a certain point, it's like, which things are actually going to impact continuity going forward and which things are people just doing because it seemed like a cool idea at the time? Because I... W- which ones do I need to be invested in? There's a lot of things to read, and I have only so much time. With the Watchmen stuff, I think that Dan DiDio and Jeff Johns and company had pure motives in the sense that they sat around and said, what can we do to bring things back to where they were before New 52? I agree. At least up to a point. I think in good faith, they to give them the credit of good faith, they said, well, this is a legitimate way to do it that frankly will get attention also and will sell some books. Yes. So I don't think it, I want to give them the benefit of it's not, you know, finally, now we can do a Watchmen thing. It was, all right, this is a way we can do it and sell some books. My fear at the end of this is, like I said, Rorschach versus Ambush Bug. If this is self-contained and at the end of it, I can walk away from it saying, I enjoyed that, but it doesn't affect the original and I don't have to deal with Dr. Manhattan versus Superman in my day-to-day action comics. Uh, I'll be happy with it. My my larger concern is we are now going to have, yeah, so Rorschach is going to be out there running around the DC universe. <laughs> yeah, and that's the last thing I want to see. That would be a failure to me. Yeah, if Rorschach shows up in the DC universe, I, I want a disclaimer on the front of every issue that says, Promote synergy! I'm sorry. <laughs> you fucking dick. <laughs> I, I told you I'd put that back on I the know. soundboard. I, I don't know why I didn't expect it. I, Amanda and I sit on opposite sides of the table, so she can't see what I'm queuing up on the soundboard. No, I feel bad I about that. It was, that, was not meant to, <laughs> that was not meant to startle you. Jesus. <laughs> but uh, I, again, I think if these characters end up in the DC universe going forward from this, then my theory about how they're going to reboot the DC Entertainment Universe, which I talked about in the previous show, which rather than going the Flashpoint route, would have them going the Rebirth route and waving Dr. Manhattan's blue wang all over everything to reset. But Dr. Manhattan is Flash's dad now. I know. I'm not saying it's a perfect (laughs) theory, but it's an interesting casting choice. (laughs) It's because he's worked with Zack Snyder before. Yes. (laughs) If they do that, uh, this will be the sound clip I play. Oh, I wish I was dead. <laughs> Just say it. Then, uh, you, then you get to promote your synergy. Like a boss. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the best I can say about it is it, it's early yet. It's early yet. I liked it better than I thought I was going to. Uh, it's still non-essential. It, it has some time to prove that it either is essential or it's like, yep, okay, fine. It's fanfic, and I'm going to ignore it from here on out. Because I, I don't want to turn into my brother. who said, Rorschach's in action comics this week. I'm not going to buy it. <laughs> but that's probably what's going to happen. <laughs> Except we have a comics podcast, so it'll be, I'm not buying action comics this week. I'll get Detective Comics, and we'll talk about that. No, you'll get action comics. 
because then you'll rage into the microphone. It would make good radio. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it's it certainly didn't prevent you from buying Civil War two. Oh God, you gotta rub that in my face. <laughs> the difference is I'm not a big Civil War one booster. <laughs> I don't consider Civil War one part of my childhood for Christ's sake. No. No. I consider Civil War One a ten dollar all you can eat testicle fest. <laughs> Kinda was. <laughs> so that's the best I can say about Doomsday Clock. You got any final words on it or Nope. All right. Should we wrap it up? Yep. Okay. <laughs> Before you ambush me with promote synergy or friggin' Sugar Man Club or something. Don't don't <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's not for everybody. Okay. <laughs> Don't know where you found this particular episode. You can always find us at our home website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. Uh, we are on Facebook. Trying to do more with that. I'm trying to do something with that. Uh, crisis on, no, facebook.com slash crisisoninfinitemidlives. Yes. Facebook is not a subsidiary of Crisis on Infinite Midlives. <laughs> Therefore, the URL should be in the appropriate order. God, <laughs> God only knows how much better off we'd be. <laughs> <laughs> uh <laughs> I wouldn't have to go to work tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, where else are we? We're on Twitter. Uh, Twitter handle is at Infinite Midlife. Yes. Uh, again, I got to do so. We're on Mastodon, but I haven't done anything with it. I'll I'll figure that out and get back to you. We're on a <laughs> we're on Tumblr. Crisis on Infinite Midlives We are on iTunes. You can subscribe to the show through there. And if you get a minute, uh, give us a review. Give us a rating. It does help new people find the show. Uh, we're on. Google Play Network, we're on Stitcher Radio, we're on TuneIn Radio, we're proud members of the Comics Podcast Network, and you can always find us, uh, you can email us, uh, crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. I think I have everything. I think you did. All right. So this has been episode 166 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlives show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening, and derp. Rorschach, meet Vibe. Promote Synergy! I don't even want to live on this planet anymore. <laughs>